Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I am happy to introduce you to Miko Azul. So Miko, can you say hi to everyone? Uh, hello. Hi. Hi, Miko. So why don't you start out with our listeners and with me and tell me what state in the Pacific Northwest you live in? I live in Washington State. Woohoo! Good old Washington. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we're experiencing some serious cold weather right now. But I think by the time Miko's um, podcast airs, we're going to be heading into spring. So we got something to look forward to. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So Miko, share with our listeners and myself, do you have a day job besides being author or are you one of those lucky ones that get to write for the rest of your life without working? (laughs) I I am one of the lucky ones that gets to write for the rest of my life, but I do have to work. I'm a a case manager um, in social work for the county here in um, Kitsap County. Oh, wow. Well, you're probably really taxed. I'm sure coming home and writing is a release for you (laughs) from your your work. Yeah, I totally understand. Yeah. Um, So... I, this is, here's my stumper question. I, I prepared you a little bit for a stumper question by telling you I was going to tell you you have one. And if you haven't listened to the podcast, you don't know it's coming. So mm-hmm. Miko, what's one thing you like to share with listeners and new readers about yourself? And it can be anything from writing to a personal thing that you'd like them to know about you right up front. I think um, the most important thing that I like people to understand about me is Um, that I write and I live by what I call my truths of being. Um, And so the idea that our intentions form our thoughts, which then inform our actions, and then that in turn creates the world that we live in. And so that's how I work my writing in a way that um, through thinking and and contemplating and, and doing these things, we can create the world that we have. And that's what my characters do. And so I hope to demonstrate that through, um, my writing. Oh, that's a fantastic message <laughs> to share. I love it. Well, thanks for sharing it with us. That's that's yeah. exciting. I hope some listeners are like, ooh, I like that message. <laughs> I'm going to grab her books. <laughs> so when did you know you were an author? Was it early on in your life? Did you stumble upon it in high school or later on? You know, I developed a love of books early, early on. Um, and, and And so I've always liked the idea when I was in my early 20s, I took a writing course and thought I would be a writer. And then life got in the way and, um, you know, three children later and (laughs) now that I'm over 50, now I can spend more time um, actually devoted to that. My kids are on autopilot. I'm finally a job. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You sound like I'm just behind you a bit on the, on that process. Um, I found out early on, I was a writer, went through high school, you know, went, started college, sidetrack for children (laughs) and now my kids are on autopilot as well for the most part yeah for the most part yeah and my my work career is very fulfilling and very satisfying but I know it's going to come to an end someday so that was kind of my hmm let's get started on the writing career (laughs) (laughs) which started the podcast which is now taking over the life which I love that's awesome (laughs) oh yeah Let's talk a little bit about writing process because this year I'm doing some questions about the writing process for authors, mm-hmm. kind of changing things up for myself, but also mm-hmm. I've explored a lot about publishing and I thought it would be interesting to start talking about the writing process. So first tell us what genre you typically write in and then mm-hmm. let's talk about a little bit about the writing process for you. 
Okay. So I write what's called epic high fantasy, which um, is uh, a lot along the lines of like Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. So we've got the hero's journey format where the young you know, hero has to go on a quest and save the world, that kind of basic thing. Um, and as far as my writing process, uh, I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that, but oh, let me um, ask you some questions. That'll help. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you have a specific time set aside in the day to write? I do. Um, early mornings is my time to write, usually only on the weekends because mm-hmm. I am a single parent and I do have a day job. But yeah. um, I, I do have that time set aside. I may or may not write if I've got, you know, some kind of, you know, life gets in the way. But I, yeah, mornings are my time. Um, I usually spend the first four hours of Saturday and Sunday working on something. Oh, that's nice. I'm the most productive in the mornings, but I can't always write in the mornings, you know, because life gets in the way, right? So I'm finding that I'm writing a lot at night, which is totally fine, but I tend to be a little more exhausted at that point. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So do you, um, because you're writing in a genre that is probably you make up a lot of it. Do you do any research or any types of research as you're working on your own? Oh, absolutely. Uh, That's probably one of the most fun things. I've got notebooks and, you know, bookshelves full of research. Um, For me, I love fantasy, reading fantasy. And unfortunately, you know, as I was growing up, there were really two kinds of fantasy. It was like the Tolkien-esque Norse mythology or the Celtic mythology and the yeah. Druids and all of that. So that was really huge for me growing up. Um, and so when I decided to write my own book, uh, I decided that I would not write about elves, dragons, unicorns, anything <laughs> like that. It's so, typical, right? <laughs> right. So I actually started doing a lot of research on Persian mythology and came across their book of Kings. And um, then I went into some Hindu mythology, you know, Indian um mythology and their, you know, creative uh, or creation mythologies. And, and so my, you know, my world that I've built has a real um, Persian flavor, like ancient Babylonian flavor, um, that kind of thing. So it's, there's no dragons, there's no dwarves. I had to create all new creatures and all of, uh, you know, new populations. And I just had a blast with it. it. Took a long time, but that was the most fun part. Did you come up with your own language as well? I think that's the, would be an interesting challenge to do a language kind of base or even like a religion, mm-hmm. you know, make up a religion. Did you do either of those two? I did make up. So let's get back to the language. In yes. fantasy, you always have weird names, right? Yes. Yeah. And because it has to be odd and, and it has to be fantastic. And for me and a lot of my readers, that's plenty of challenge. I wasn't about to, you know, subject them to another language as well, um, yeah. that they would just skip over because they couldn't pronounce it. So that's um, typically what I do, I'll admit. <laughs> exactly. Me too. I was like, I love Tolkien, but really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, what I did do, though, is I did start with, based on Tolkien's work, I started with my own creation mythology. And so I developed how the gods, uh, you know, or the deities were created and what their roles were. And so I have this whole backstory that I created that kind of weaves itself gently into the story, but the story is separate. But I did want to have, you know, a, a religious basis or some kind of worship. You know, they have to have a role. People have to have a higher power that they look to and believe in. And that, of course, creates tension because there's always infighting, right? Because my beliefs are better than your beliefs. Absolutely. So, that's always human life, right? <laughs> absolutely. There's definitely um, a, a, a common 
um, current events flavor through my mm-hmm. stories is because uh, racism, racism has a big piece of it and, and a lot of religious, you know, tolerance has a big philosophy that has a big piece of it as well. Wonderful. I love it. I love exploring this process, especially with, you know, science fiction or fantasy fiction authors, because I feel like, I feel like fiction, I, I write historical fiction. I'm working on my first historical fiction and I can draw on so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think to be super creative, you have to come up with your own, you know, coming up with your own would be a little more fun and challenging. <laughs> kind of yeah, it is. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you my, com- my, uh, my moment of here I am coming clean. Most of my ideas come from National Geographic magazine oh. or Andrew Zimmern's, you know, bizarre foods, because this world that we live in is so amazing and so magical. And as Americans, at least for me, I've traveled quite a bit, but I don't know a whole lot outside of my own culture and watching shows and looking at the, the crazy stuff that National Geographic has done. It doesn't take a whole lot of effort to make things, blow them up bigger and make them amazing. Right. Exactly. So right. Yeah. So it's, it's been done for me. I just take it and put my own weird twist on it and go forward. Oh, I think it's great. Such great. I love inspiration and where people get their inspiration from. So I got to tell you a funny story. So I've been having a lot of authors and we'll talk a little bit about your publishing, um, you know, but I've had a lot of authors come on from uh, not a pipe publishing and you guys tend to be in a specific genre. So I've been thinking about fantasy and science fiction in my own mind as I've been listening to you and talking with authors from your group. And last night I had a dream of a book that I think I'm going to eventually write that is in the science fiction world. And I woke up and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm one of those authors that had a dream vision of a book. I'm so excited. (laughs) And I wrote it down. I wrote it down immediately. I haven't had a chance today. It's been such a busy day to even tell my husband about it. And I'm so excited this weekend because we're going away for the weekend so I can tell him the entire plot line for it. Oh, that's great. I know. So maybe I'll be joining your group at some time in the future, but that would be fantastic. Yeah. So, um, so let's go back a little bit more towards your, um, writing process. Do you write one or two drafts and then do you get others to help you edit? Do you have a writer's group you work with? Um, kind of what's that process for you? For my first book, I didn't have a writer's group. I sort of wrote, wrote in a vacuum. I lived in a very rural community, Um, And I lived out in the middle of the woods. So my first book was done and I wrote the draft um, and had family read through it and wrote, I probably had nine iterations of it before I submitted it uh, for publication. But um, this, this most recent book has been phenomenal in that um, I'm, as I'm writing the sequel to the staff of fire and bone, which came out January of 2018, um, I joined a writer's group, a critique group that is phenomenal. And so every week they take a chapter uh, and, and give me all this feedback. And I watched my writing blossom and I, it's almost embarrassing to look back on that book from last year and say, wow, I've really progressed a lot. So this, you know, having other people help pick it apart and, and offer ideas has been tremendously successful for me. And I think I'm so proud of the way this next book is shaping up. It's exciting. Wow. How exciting is that? That is great. Uh, little twinkle bell in the background. I love it. Yeah, I just got a text. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. We're used to text or dog barking around here. Yeah. So <laughs> my listeners know there's going to be an occasional something going on. <laughs> Life's crazy around here. Right. 
Um, so, you know, let's go back to the writers group. I can echo that. And um, if you, it, my listeners know this. So my journey of the podcast really did start out with me thinking about writing, meeting authors, starting to write my first draft. And now I'm in the process of editing that first draft. And I was invited to this amazing writers group. They didn't even know what, how I was writing. Mm-hmm. And it was a very small group of, of well-established authors in my area. And they invited me in. And at first I was terrified. Sure. Um, and now it's that we meet twice a month, you know, every other week. Mm-hmm. And it is the highlight of my months to be able to get together with them. And, and we go over each other's um, chapters and we yep. really give some great input and talk. And it's just been the most exhilarating experience. So I can echo that. And I have grown. I've been challenged more than I thought I would be. And I love that challenge to have um, other writer, writers share with me. Hey, Vicki, do you think A, B, and C fits here what about this so you might need to look up this I'm like this is such great points <laughs> I love it <laughs> and you know the other best part for me was learning how to edit other people's work so as I as I watch them edit each other's work they're teaching me how to how to look through things and how to find things that you know will will work passive voice and mm-hmm. you know telling versus showing little things that a lot of us don't really consciously think about. And so that's the other piece is not only am I a better writer, but I'm a better editor. Mm-hmm. And as an editor, then I can, you know, edit my own writing much more effectively. So that's, it's just a great group. It really is. And so I encourage any of my listeners, you probably hear me say this over and over again. Now, if you're afraid to start with a writer's group, just jump in and see how it goes. Now, the one caveat that I'm going to say, and I'll say it every time, if you don't have a positive experience, don't stick around. Find right. someone, some other group where you're going to get a positive experience because yes. we already deal with enough self-doubt as writers. We don't need to have the negative experiences. <laughs> just shake it off and move on. Um, so let's talk about the publication process for you. So you have two books was your first book self-published or was it independent published or where did it go and and then take us to the second one okay so my first book uh, is called Ascari and uh, I took my manuscript to the San Francisco Writers Conference uh, and I entered their competition and won first place so that was extremely validating and uh, the first prize package was a self-publishing package with Author House which I did um, and so the first one was self-published. It was an awesome experience. I'm really glad I had it. I will never do it again. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm a writer. I am not a, you know, publicity marketing person. And yeah. um, it, it was, and I'm not an editor. So yeah. there were a lot of pieces that I had to do by myself that I didn't know how to do. So I learned an awful lot. Um, I sold about 400 books, which is, you know, for a debut author is pretty darn good. That is pretty good. Yeah, I'll be happy if I sell that many. (laughs) Right. So uh, when I was ready to pitch my next book, um, I had been pitching agents for a while. I I isolated Kate Hart as the Mm -hmm. one that I I wanted to work with her and, uh, you know, big New York top five kind of um, agent. And I just wasn't hitting, I think largely because my I'm a debut author with a weird name and, yeah. and epic fantasy, in my opinion, cannot be written in under 150,000 words. So that's, that's <laughs> um, prohibitive when you, you're looking at the cost of a book. So yeah. um, when I, I was visiting Portland, Oregon um, in 2015, I had family down there and uh, I caught Paige and Ben Gorman on Fox, this Fox show, and they were talking about how they were publishers that had accepted Camilla Shamsi's challenge to only publish women in 2018. And I thought, 
huh, I'm a woman. (laughs) (laughs) They only do fantasy and science fiction. Awesome. So I uh, eventually called them and said, hey, I'd like to meet you for lunch. I'd like to interview you guys. And, um, and I did, and they're wonderful people, you know, I wasn't Mm -hmm. sure about doing a local kind of hybrid publisher. Um, but it has been the best experience because, uh, their philosophy is that we all lift each other up. So Mm -hmm. there are like Mm -hmm. nine or 10 of us authors now, and we all, um, read each other's books and we all blurb each other's books and we all edit each other's books. And, you know, we've got a team of folks that are putting together activities and marketing, opportunities and publicity things. Um, and with this year of publishing women, that has gotten us international attention. So we had an enormous amount of publicity. I was invited to speak on Portland Today about it. You know, we've hit the Times of India. We got on Bustle. And, you know, we have had a, an event or more each month since January of last year because we're doing so much. And, and I honestly have to say for a hybrid publisher of a small publishing company, I've gotten more sales than I would have with the big five because they're just not going to put that kind of effort into mm-hmm. their new authors. And mm-hmm. so I'm thrilled to be with Not A Pipe. And and besides the fact, now my listeners will have already been introduced to Ben by the time your podcast comes out. So we got to introduce, um, introduce everybody to him first. And then I'm interviewing quite a few of the authors that you, you've mentioned that were brought in during that time that they were doing the challenge. And um, Ben is also an amazing supportive author. Besides being a great author himself, I love his work. But he really, him and his wife, very much support in a family way of authors that are working with them. And and I just, I was just blessed to death to meet him and have him on the podcast and meet every single one of the authors um, along the way from his group. So it's inspiring to me that there is the small niche um, independent publishing houses out there that will treat you like family and mm-hmm. and can also make a splash in the Absolutely. community. You know, the inner, because man, the industry is very competitive. So mm-hmm. if you have people that are positive and making a splash and doing the right thing, then, you know, that's definitely where I want to line myself up with. <laughs> Absolutely. And and Ben picks people very carefully. You know, he's, his philosophy is, and I, I may not need to share this, but it's funny so I will Um, (laughs) his philosophy is when he reads manuscripts if he likes the manuscript then he meets the author but the author has to sort of you know be a productive and comfortable member of the family or regardless of how good the writing is they may not ask him to um, sign because Mm -hmm. you know we have to work so closely together and we have Mm -hmm. to do events together and so he's been very careful about only picking people that he'd like to hang out and have a beer with. So Well, and that's a smart thing too, because I don't think readers really realize how much work you're going to be doing with individuals in a collaborative effort like this. Right. Um, especially, you know, if you're going to make waves and you're going to get yourself out there, you really have to be out and about with people. And our time is so limited, right? And so right. we want to make sure that we're sharing our time and energy and efforts with people that are like-minded and are and are positive. So I think it goes back to that positive aspect. So, so super great. I, I love that story. And I love that you shared that with us. And, and I, <laughs> I'm absolutely Miko having a blast meeting everybody from um, not a pipe publishing. It's just been so much fun. <laughs> yeah. They, they are an amazing group of people. They are all absolutely wonderful. So let's wrap back a little bit to this. Did, did you end up getting an agent or you didn't need the agent once you found mm-hmm. not a pipe? I didn't need one once I found out a pipe. That's so, so great. Yeah, <laughs> with that, yeah. 
So it's great because I love all the different paths and journeys the authors on the podcast. So I've I've interviewed almost over 50 authors now or so in a year. So when the podcast has launched um, was a year, about a year in March. And so I am hearing so many different versions of the story. And I realized that there's no one specific path of going. There's, you know, you're just going to have to find your way and, um, you know, get connected to the people that you connect with and you got to get yourself out there. That's another big thing I, I'm right. learning. <laughs> yeah. So, right. so great. So, um, so we talked just a little bit about support groups. Do you have any other support groups that you can suggest to aspiring authors like myself? Um, and they don't have to be face-to-face groups. Do you participate in anything online? Um, things like that. Cause I like to add those to show notes. I don't. Um, my experience with online groups, and I did have one that I didn't mention because it was such a horrible experience. Oh. People tend to be a little more um, mean-spirited because they're not face-to-face with you, right? Yeah. So they can say things that might not necessarily be appropriately delivered. Um, but as far as inspiration goes online, I love Pinterest. And I do too. You know, oh my gosh. There are so <laughs> many creative people in the world that have put stuff up and um, and deviant art is another place that I go to look for ideas. Uh, but as far as, you know, chat rooms or anything like that, no, I stay away from that stuff. Yeah. That's so funny. You mentioned Pinterest because this week I made a commitment to myself. So I got really active with social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for Mm -hmm. the um, podcast and for, you know, connecting with authors. And, and I, I was very leery about that. I found really great groups. So I made sure I was very um, specific in where I was going, you know, and been happy with that. But my goal this year was to get involved with Pinterest because I love the visual aspect of Pinterest. I mean, I'm drawn to the visual. And so this last week I've been spending an goodness amount of time of learning how (laughs) to do that as an author, but I'm loving it. But I did spend a lot of time and had to tie my blog into Pinterest. It's a whole nother marketing tool that I just, I set aside because I wanted to take the time to really learn it and do it right. Versus Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I have a little bit of help with one of my millennial daughters. (laughs) So (laughs) nice. I'm just like, you got to do this for me. And she's very, very good at it. She has a graphic design background. Um, but I personally wanted to do the Pinterest because I'm addicted to Pinterest in my personal yes. life with yes. all my, you know, everything. So I've been spending a lot of time on it. And I am just impressed with um, how many wonderful resources that you can organize, you yes. know, from your character development, if you want to do some researching on what you want your characters to look like, um, or even there's a lot of articles that are already pinned and developed for writing tips and, and author tips. It's just really fabulous. So yeah. I encourage, I'm going to be encouraging everybody. If you're not on Pinterest, you better get yourself on there because right. <laughs> a lot on there to learn from and be careful because you can get lost a lot on Pinterest and not write. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> I call that research. It is. It's research that will never stop. <laughs> I've, right. I have been known to wake up in the middle of the night like, I can't go back to sleep. Oh, I guess I'll go to Pinterest. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so, so great. Well, awesome, awesome um, tips. Um, how about we set you up for the reading? Because I'm really excited to hear from your reading. Okay. And generally, what I have the authors do is I have you set the stage for what you're going to read to us. I go on quiet so that we can control the dogs barking in the background. Mm-hmm. And then um, I'll take us out at the end of your reading of the podcast. 
Okay, so I am going to read uh, a chapter from my book, The Staff of Fire and Bone. And uh, this was my favorite chapter that I'd written at the time. And uh, I think it's important, an important chapter, but it was taken out of the book by the editors at the final <laughs> draft. But uh, what's happening here is um, one of the main characters' uh, daughters was killed. And, and so they're setting up the, it's the foreshadowing for the major event that comes later in the story. So, uh, and it also gives a really good example of the religious um, development that I'd done and, and the deities and all how, how I created them. So this gives us a little bit of that ritual. Okay, so this is called the Valley of Souls. Raven Angersall stood by his window watching the rain come down in torrents, the dark clouds expressing the grief that he was still too numb to release. A lifetime of serving as a Sumeri warrior through the Garanth Wars and countless skirmishes along Sam Shaley's borders hadn't prepared him for the anguish he'd suffered over the past two days. No amount of bloodshed on battlefields could harden a father to the slaughter of an innocent child, let alone one of his own daughters. Three of his five daughters had been released from their duties and had arrived home from the night before. They would be joining the family and close friends in the ceremony that would return his beloved Lania to their deity, Lady Morelia. He ran his fingers through his silver hair and scrubbed at his exhausted eyes. Raven still couldn't bear the thought of his youngest child's life being torn from her in such a savage manner, and to have his eldest daughter imprisoned for the crime was beyond comprehension. Elder Bregan is here to see you, my love. Raven's wife, Elani, hesitated at the door. He looked up to see her red-brimmed aqua eyes and rose to embrace her. Stroking her long silver hair, he tried to ease her pain as she pressed her face into his shoulder. They had not been able to stem the savage tide of grief. Releasing her after a moment, Raven smiled and sighed, please show him in, we have much to discuss. Eleni turned and walked across the small office to the glass pane doors and held them open for the councilman. The older man paused briefly, gripping the female warrior's arm in sympathy before releasing her. Stay, he said heavily. You'll need to hear this as well. Elder Tomar Bragan entered his friend's private study solemnly, his gait revealing the heavy burden he carried upon his heart. He was a man who had known a long lifetime of tragedy, of which this was but the most recent. He embraced his younger friend. No words needed to be spoken to convey the sympathy and support that each man felt for the other. Elder Bragan had been a friend to the Angersall family since boyhood. He had been extremely close to Raven's older brother, Robin, growing up, closer than most brothers. The two had hardly been seen outside one another's company until the conflict between the Council of Elders and the Sumeri warriors began a generation ago. Bregan had once been betrothed to Robin and Raven's sister, Narina, until that union ended in tragedy. Although the two friends had been separated for nearly two decades during Robin's self-imposed exile, Elder Bregan had remained close to the Angersall family. May, <clears throat> Elder Bregan cleared his throat against the tightness. May Our Lady Moralia bring you peace, my friend. Knowing that my beloved Lania will soon be sitting with our mother is the only thing that does, Raven responded, gripping Bregan's shoulder in gratitude. This is most difficult. It is, but we must decide on our course of action immediately or others will be lost. Indeed, what have you learned from the Council of Elders regarding Raisha's fate? Raven asked, patting Elani's hand as she gripped his arm. 
Elder Bregan sighed and sat down heavily on the window seat and stared briefly out of the window at the pattering raindrops striking the clear glass. He turned his head and faced his friends. As you are already informed, she is being held by the guardians for Lania's murder. Bregan's emerald eyes dimmed as he continued. She attempted to escape the tribunal after being formally charged and his gaze sank to his folded hands. She killed a guardian who tried to stop her. Eleni inhaled sharply, her hand covering her mouth at the shock of her daughter's broken oath. Then it's over for her, Raven said, his voice cracking. She'll be executed. Elder Bregan only nodded, his eyes never leaving his hands. The howling of the wind outside their home gave voice to the torment the three couldn't express. The Sumeri were sworn to protect their people and their land's borders. The Council of Elders required absolute fealty in the form of a blood oath to prevent another deadly clash between the land's warriors and their leaders. As the rift between the two widened and the Council clamped down on the Sumeri warriors, tolerance for even the slightest disobedience by the warriors vanished. Rabin paced around the study, absently touching the sculptures Raisha had made for him as a child. She'd been such a sensitive and artistic child. He was almost surprised when she passed the Sumeri trials, even more so when she became one of the elite Lanier writers. He'd expected his eldest daughter to become an artist or even a councilwoman. Her passion for her people was so great. It was because of Raisha's deep-seated passion for life that caused much of this whole situation to sit ill with the Sumeri leader. It wasn't that it was not like Raisha to kill wantonly. It was impossible for her. I don't believe we've been given all the facts here, Raven mused, wandering over to the window and staring into the gray clouds that filled the skies. Bregan looked up at his friends, his lips pressed into a thin line. I believe you're right, but we have no more information from the tribunal about the events that took place. We must convince the Council of Elders to stay Raven's Raisha's execution until we can find out what really happened, Eleni said softly. She knelt at Elder Bregan's feet and clasped his hands in hers. Is there anything you can do to sway the council, my friend? Reagan's deep green eyes clouded as he stared into Eleni's aqua gaze. I'm sorry, my dear, he croaked. <clears throat> the council is very much aware where my loyalties lie. He rose, keeping his hands clasped in hers. However, we must not give up hope. If Raisha's life has become forfeit, it will be up to the Sumeri to carry out the order, Bregan nodded and raised his eyebrows to Rabin. Rabin turned his back to the window to stare at his friend, comprehension washing over his face. Of course, but wouldn't the council expect something like that from us? Perhaps, Bregan said, but they may not have had enough time to organize an offensive. You and the girls could leave after Lania's air burial and alert your various units. Eleni looked up, her forehead creased in a frown. What you're suggesting would mean the forfeiture of our family's home, our fortune, even our very lives, should we fail. Raven crossed the room and grasped his wife's shoulders. Our people have already forsaken us. They've killed one daughter and conspire to kill another. I cannot sit back and simply allow them to take everything we hold dear without at least attempting to learn the truth. Eleni's shoulders sunk. I don't want to be the cause of our remaining daughter's sacrifice, and I don't want I don't have the heart to make them choose. You don't have to, mother, Larry's voice startled her from behind the double doors. The second eldest daughter stood behind the glass pane doors with her twin sisters, Seishi and Leanshi, flanking her. All three wore fierce expressions on their faces. Their minds were made up. We know that Raisha is innocent of this crime. We will prove it to the council or die trying. 
The twins nodded their acquiescence, stepping into their parents' arms. Raven and Eleni braced the girls, the family clinging to each other one last time before the gong in the pavilion sounded, alerting them that the ceremony was about to begin. It's time to take Lania home, Raven said softly and broke from the circle. He looked at Bregan, who remained seated across the room. Are you ready? Bregan stood slowly and nodded. The group exited the small study and stepped outside the elegantly appointed home. A pavilion had been erected in the end of their expansive lawn where Lania had been laid for the ceremony. The two men fell in behind Raven's wife and daughters, who joined a large procession of mourners to walk past the buyer and lay flowers upon the girl's body. Normally, in Shaley passing rituals, the body was cleansed and displayed surrounded by flowers and other living plants. As Elder Bregan shuffled toward the pavilion where the girl's body lay protected from the rain, he stopped. Why have you covered her? He asked, confused at this departure from tradition. In a quiet, choked voice meant only for Elder Bregan, Raven explained, her body was so, so badly ravaged that a shroud was our only option. Elder Bregan nodded and squeezed his friend's shoulder. He approached the buyer and rested his withered hands on the girl's covered head. She was not killed by your sister. I can sense the evil. This is not over, he said in a flat voice. Rabin noticed that a small stone fountain carved by Aresha before she became a Lanier writer had been placed at Lania's feet. The gentle sound of water cascading down the crystals was a soothing counterpart to the pre to pre pre prevalent mourning. Small votive candles were placed around the funeral buyer, giving the silhouette of a body an ethereal glow as the flames reflected off the silken covering. Raven couldn't contain his grief. Bitter tears streamed down his cheeks at the first strange of the hauntingly sweet elegy was sung by the priestesses of Hamra. When the song ended, Eleni and her remaining daughters stepped forward and positioned themselves at each corner of the buyer, dismissing the male pallbearers. What's this? The high priestess asked, raising her finely arched brows at the unexpected change in protocol. Larry stepped forward. Bearing our sister to the necropolis is the last gift we can give her. Please don't deny us. The high priestess noted the Sumeri tattoos on the four elder women and knew that as elite warriors, they would have the strength and endurance to bear this burden. She nodded, waving the men away. Raven and Elder Bregan led the procession from the pavilion at the Angersoll home to the necropolis of Zuria. The marchers sang the processional lament, the rain providing a delicate descant, a fitting tribute from the deities at the passing of one of their daughters. At the top of the hill overlooking the Valley of Souls, the Sumeri laid the buyer on the ground. They curled Lania's body into a fetal position and gently placed her inside the round woven wicker basket awaiting for her. Lingering while the rest of the procession caught up, the sisters each took a moment to bless Lania's body and touch her ravaged cheek through the silken fabric. Raven and his wife kissed their daughter in farewell, both feeling the ache of the empty void their youngest daughter no longer filled. The male pallbearers grabbed the poles and bore the wicker sphere into the hallowed ground of the necropolis. The valley was filled with ancient cypress trees, their boughs cradling thousands of the circular baskets within their branches. Using ropes and pulleys, they pulled the wicker casket from the lower boughs of the tallest cypress tree to near the center of the valley. The family retreated, the waiting embrace of their friends, standing in respectful silence along the rim above the valley. The rain mingled with tears, their sobs drowned out by the priestesses singing the songs of power. 
The cypress trees in the valley swayed with the energy surging through them as the priestesses summoned their Arcasi energy. The cypress trees of the Valley of Souls, all of the, de the decorative caskets hanging from their boughs from generation of air burials had returned their borrowed Arcasi energy back to Lady Morelia through this sort of assimilation. Lania's casket began to glow as the Arcasi separated from her body and was sung back into Lady Morelia's source through the boughs of the tree. Soon the entire valley was lit with a soft glow as all the hanging caskets began to shimmer from the transmutation of Lania's Arcasi into the tree, adding her energy to all of the trees in the valley. The souls of the valley added their ethereal chorus to the priestesses chanting, welcoming their sister and daughter back into the nurturing arms of their mother. Darkness had fallen, but none of the trios of none of the trio of moon's light would be visible this night. The only illumination seen on this somber eve was the glimmer of the thousands of twinkling caskets within the Valley of Souls. Even the storm hadn't diminished the strength with which the tree transmuted its sad treasure. By morning, the process would be complete and Lainey's remains would be fully joined with the tree, leaving only the tourmaline votives and the dried flowers from her beer. The family would add them to the shrine that they would keep in their daughter's memory. And that's it. Actually, it's a very beautiful burial. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's how I like to go all wrapped up in a tree. You know? Right? Yeah, yeah. Miko, very, very descriptive. And, and I hope all the listeners could see it as I did. Fascinating. I love it. And um, so listeners, if you are interested, make sure you go to Miko's website off of um, the show notes and let her know that you heard her on the podcast and get her book. So Great. thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. And I'll have to have you back when your third book comes out. Excellent. Thank you, Vicki. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.